Welcome to an all new episode of Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discussing pop culture with a geeky bent. Hey, it's been a while. There's dust everywhere, Chris. Where the fuck have you been? I literally, I am literally wiping the dust off of my mic stand as you said that. It's been a whole month. It has been. It's been a whole month. We promised these guys at least two podcasts a month and we've fallen uh, behind. Not on a summer break, but we'll get to that in a minute. So, Chris, we've got some news. News nuggets? News nuggets. Hit the theme. Hit the drop. News nuggets. I know you love that drop, Chris. I know you love it so much. And I've got not one, but... well, (laughs) And we've got a couple of things to discuss. The first thing is just a bit of a thank you from us, because over the time we've been away, uh, we've went over um, our first 1,000 downloads. So thank yeah, you all there, yeah. there in Radio Land. This give is yourself you. a hand if it's safe to do so. If you're not driving, give if you're yourself driving, a hand. Please don't give yourself a hand. Maybe just like a, a a click, like a ding ding kind of beatnik click. Absolutely. It you know this is just something that you Chris you and me do for a bit of fun and to think that people are out there are downloading. Uh, obviously a lot of strangers because Mum can't do all of this by herself. She hasn't got enough devices. Um, no. It's just just us saying thank you. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks a lot for joining in and and listening to us ramble and rant. Inviting us into your lives, into your hearts, making us a part of your day. I imagine Chris, a family sitting around a fire. There's no wireless on, but -hmm. actually it's one of those kind of retro wireless and actually listening to us on a podcast. And the family all kind of looking at each other lovingly. And there's a dog as well. It's kind Mm -hmm. of a 2.4 children, 1950s style uh Perfect nuclear family. family being kept together by us and nostalgia and hopefully and Brexit. Nostalgia. <laughs> yikes we'll get back there we'll turn back time i'll tell you let's get political let's, let's do get, this let's not get political that's the surest way to lose some of those valuable <laughs> downloads oh brother what's happening to our country let's discuss <laughs> come on boffins <laughs> So the other thing to discuss is obviously the fact we've been off for a month. I think, Chris, I just wanted to say to everyone that, you know... It's your fault. It's, <laughs> it's actually your fault because uh, life sometimes gets in the way and we're not professionals. And, uh, Chris, you just had a really busy uh, month and a half, really, with uh, work. And, you know, you're raising a child, which is something I don't have the pleasure of. No, well, I've yeah, I've, I've been a busy guy. It's on me. But, yeah, you know, I've, I've, had, uh, I've had work. I've had a course I'm doing. I've had some exams because I'm a bit masochistic and, uh, you know, obviously general life stuff as well, filling in the few gaps that were left has, has just made it very difficult. In fact, the movie we're about to discuss, uh, I'll tell you now, I watched it in a McDonald's uh, using their Wi-Fi uh, over Netflix uh, and sat and watched it on my phone because that's wow. the only time I could fit it in <laughs> with <was on> a <laughs> slightly extended lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Well, that, that ends news nuggets for now. Mm-hmm. And let's get into this film. So let's talk about it, Chris. It's it's another one from about 20 years ago. Did you? Yeah. We are actually subconsciously picking an exact time in our lives to talk about all these movies. Do you know that? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because obviously, um, you know, the premise of the show being that only at least one of us has watched it and the other one um, by necessity hasn't. But yet we still come back to that period, even if, if, if you know, one of us isn't tied to it. Fargo, the 1996 Oscar winning crime film. It's, a, it's kind of a darkly humoristic film, I guess you would say, Chris. Mm-hmm. Let's get straight into it. What did you think? 
first time watching it. Yeah, I I loved it. Right off the bat, I want to say it is my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Oh, high praise. High praise indeed. I just want to get that right out there. That is that is how much I enjoyed it. I thought it was very uh, very fun, very dark, but you know, nicely compact, not needlessly long nor needlessly complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of those rare kind of movies where I just sort of thought, like, I could watch this again and again and again. Like, this is not a film that I would easily tire of. Um, it's not the sort of thing where yeah. I watch it once and think, okay, well, it's that's ticked off, that's done, never again. It, so this is interesting, Chris. So before I actually realised I've actually skipped over something. Do you remember, because you said it was your favourite Coen Brothers film, do you remember our experience when we were young of our first ever Coen Brothers film? Uh, yeah, I'm really excited that you've brought this up because it, as soon as you mentioned Fargo and Coen Brothers, I thought back to, to different Coen Brothers films and obviously some of their more famous ones came to mind. And then I thought, you know what? I'm pretty sure they did that weird film about the hula hoop. <laughs> um, and so I, I looked it up and indeed, yeah, the Hudsucker Proxy. That's right. Uh, was, um, I don't know how we came across it, but I remember watching it many times. So I, It was late night BBC i think uh-huh. and it was you know part way during the film and obviously back then we had cable but less channels all that flicking around and we saw a clip i think or the scene where someone runs into a window and paul newman gleefully tells the audience after this person does not jump out of the the window and kill themselves um that it was made of plexiglass <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and at that point, we both kind of laughed uh, because there was this guy just kind of comically peeling himself off of a window. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we watched the rest of that film. And that was actually our first introduction to the Coen brothers above Raising Arizona, um, Miller's Crossing and Fargo. It was Hudsucker Proxy, which is actually one of their less well-regarded films. It's actually quite it's, it's actually quite a fun film. It's not the yeah, best. It's, 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 it's certainly Yeah, and it's certainly lesser known. I mean, when, whenever I've been in a conversation about the Coen brothers, that... Uh, sooner or later comes to mind uh and no one's ever seen it you know they're they're always talking about the biggies yeah you know so i t- honestly i don't remember much of the film in fact you saying that has, has, has brought it back to me quite well i remember it had tim robbins in it and i remember yeah. loosely that it was some sort of double crossy kind of plot going on uh as as is as is their want the coen brothers yeah i remember very fondly watching that um in in our old house i swear i think we had it on tape i think we taped it i bought it on vhs oh god even better yeah i mean yeah. so that's when i was becoming a, a burgeoning movie file i bought alongside <laughs> more rats and clerks i had a copy of hudsucker proxy god we were really painting a picture for people here we really are <laughs> filling in the mosaic of our lives um and you know i want to say to our, our younger listeners Uh, or perhaps those that don't have a great memory, it's a real investment in space to buy a VHS because they're about triple the volume of a uh, a DVD case, let alone like a tiny little Blu-ray case or something, you know. So you had to really want that, to to keep that film, to be able to watch that film again. You you didn't just buy anything. That that was a real investment. That that said something. I had a huge amount of shelves, Chris. Do you remember? I had a huge amount of shelves because they were mainly covered in Babylon 5. So you had two episodes per tape. There were five seasons of 20-odd episodes of Babylon 5 yeah. and, a, and a range of films and everything. Across my walls, I had these VHS, and they're the same price as a Blu-ray is now. Yeah. Oh, it was complete insanity. 
I mean, I remember I was always very envious because, you know, you had things like that. You had Babylon 5, you had a few seasons of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine and even some mm. Voyager. And they always made these lovely tapes that lined up and made a picture. Um, yes. <laughs> and and the only thing I had like that was uh, Blake 7, <laughs> which I similarly spent an absolute fortune on. And I think I, I gave up on buying them after the second season. After I'd spelt out Blake 7, I was done. Um, so I think they can, they actually kind of dropped the ball on that one because what else did I need? Yeah. So a little off topic, back to the film, Fargo loved it. So when did you first come across Fargo? That's a great question. So when I, again, when I was kind of growing up being a movie file, Chris, I remember watching mm-hmm. old Baz and Norman, um, late night oh, on BBC. Barry Norman. Yeah, exactly. And why not? Uh, as he was doing his <laughs> reviews and that was kind of my introduction into a lot of, um, a lot of mid 90s and late 90s cinema before he kind of he went to sky for a while and then he kind of stepped down it doesn't really do it much anymore i mean he might even write it still i don't know but uh, certainly in the mid 90s i would catch that as part of my late night watching so some nights it would be seinfeld and larry sanders like we talked about a few podcasts ago and other mm. nights it'd be watching barry norman and then eventually jonathan ross took over and went a bit shit but Bazaar was amazing and i just remember him talking about this film and, and clips of it but I never saw it in the cinemas. I think I was too young. Um, I don't think I saw it in VHS either. So I don't think I saw it until sometime later when it came out in DVD the first time in a nice glossy special edition. I was at university. I had a bit of um, cash. And back then, I would pre-order anything, Chris. Oh, yeah. Any new box set, any new film that kind of sounded interesting. And again, trying to be a movie file back then, I was like oh yeah, I should absolutely like this film. I'm going to pre-order it uh, next to the uh, Wong Kar Wai's uh, new film from Hong Kong and uh, and this other one alongside things like Star Wars and Star Trek because, come on, I'm like that. So yes, that's where I first watched it. And just like you, Chris, it's, it is, uh, it's a cracking film. It is, first of all, taut. It is just over 90 minutes. And remember we were talking about Kevin Smith last week and yoga hoses and how 80 minutes felt like an eternity. So this yeah. is a whole well-made oscar-winning film full of humor um full of tension and it it's just over 90 minutes it's not drawn out or anything like that it is fabulously compact and succinct there is not uh, an but it leaves a lasting fat. memory with you there's no fat mm-hmm. in this film and it's not like quick cuts or anything like that there are times where it's still quite languid but it's a lot of fun and it's it is it's it's a great investment of your time to have that back in your shelf and then go back to it over and over again yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm, you know, I'm coming to, I'm, I'm 30 now, first time I've ever watched it, and it feels like a, an old movie that I love. You know, it feels like a movie that that you, feels like a, I don't know, a warm pair of slippers and a dressing gown that you just you want to put on and and just enjoy and just you know be comfortable with, and it feels like I've, it feels like I've had a relationship with this film, I've, <laughs> despite the fact that I've never seen it before. It's, it's strange, but it's so, it's so charming. I think yes, it, and and yet at the same time, incredibly grim and dark. I think the Coen brothers have a real talent for that, don't they? For that sort of delivering the these these kind of ridiculous plots, these over the top plots. They've got these crazy cartoonish, almost cartoonish kind of uh, caricature characters, and yeah, it's almost always covering something that's either where it to happen in real life would be absolutely horrifying and yet you're still sat there with kind of just a light-hearted feel and a smile on your face it's it's really it's it's quite a remarkable skill that they have as uh 
as filmmakers. The way the way you've, you've put that is kind of framed it nicely. So the, the main driver of this film is the character Jerry Lundegaard, who is um, a pretty poor car salesman who wants a bit of his father-in-law's cash and devises this scheme, which pretty much everyone he deals with tells him is terrible, yeah. uh, including the kidnappers themselves. Um, we'll get to those in a while. Um, <laughs> and, and Jerry decides, well, I'm going to fake the kidnapping of my wife and get the money for as a parking lot, some sort of construction thing with his his father in law, who of course then takes over, and all his plans come asunder, um, which they should. You know, he deserves he deserves his fate, Jerry. Mm-hmm. I think Chris, one of the one of the reasons why uh, you're saying this is great kind of balance between um, humor and almost the macabre. I think part of that comes across because it's it's filmed in Min- well, it's Minnesota and North Dakota. Actually, I think most of it's North Dakota. But the, the 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 use of Minnesota nice, yeah. So I think we have to talk a minute about the use of Minnesota nice. So the Coen brothers actually come from Minnesota. So this oh, is really? all, uh, yeah, they do. So it's all very lovingly created. But what did you yeah. re- what did you make of the uh, the Minnesota accent and mannerisms? Well, it's um, <laughs> it's really interesting for me uh, because this comes off the back of us, as you say. Last time we discussed uh, a film together, we were discussing. Um, amongst other things, Kevin Smith's Yoga Hoses. And one of my big issues with that film was, you know, the stupid, tired Canadian accents, Canadian jokes really played out. And here we are with Fargo. You could almost ostensibly say doing the same thing. Yes, lovingly, but kind of mocking the accent and mocking the over-the-top politeness that that is sort of stereotypically, you know, Minnesota. and yet it's done with a bit of craft <laughs> it's it's done without feeling like it's some dumb high school joke yeah it's playful and it just it's yeah. it's it's disarming you know it doesn't feel like it's ever malicious about you know minnesotans they never come across you know they're never held up as like oh look at this idiot <laughs> you know listen to this guy listen to the way he talks isn't he stupid that's absolutely right chris so one of the, one of the great aspects of this film is they're better actors let's be honest right well yeah i mean it's um it's it's worlds apart obviously Absolutely. and it is it is more loving and they have these obviously the coen brothers are from they're from uh minnesota so therefore they can guide the, the actors a bit better but it is interesting there are some critics that do feel that they went a bit too far and that maybe maybe it it points some of the minnesotan people as dumb which is not what has come across here in fact margie who is a minnesotan is is one of the smartest characters in the whole film i mean chris what did you make of um the character of margie oh she was my favorite she's (laughs) wow what a character yeah so so much fun to watch i mean anything that that actor does is is um francis mcdormand she's she's fantastic in, in everything yeah just really i mean she really brings the heart to the film uh so you know you're watching the first few i don't know maybe 10 15 minutes and you're kind of wondering well who am i supposed to root for here i mean william h macy's acting like a bit of a uh, an asshole um <laughs> you know a polite very nice asshole um i'm sure i'm not you know meant to be um on steve Basimi's side so you know where's where's my where's my emotional center where's my anchor to this film yeah uh, and then 
in enters Frances McDormand and it's like, there she is. <laughs> I mean, exactly. you know, to, to, to speak to the point of some people saying that maybe they make fun of Minnesotans or, you know, uh, imply that they're dumb. Um, certainly her character isn't. Uh, you could say that it's that it's almost perceived that she is the only smart person in a town full of uh, sort of stupid people. Uh, and that she sort of very kindly, very nicely corrects the, uh, you know, the other officer. Which <laughs> she says, like, I think I think I have to question your police work there. Um, <laughs> That's right. Uh, so <laughs> I think they might have been dealer plates, <laughs> you know, which is, again, you know, she's incredibly nice. She would never do it maliciously, but she is professional and she is smart and she's obviously very good at her job and, and kind of cracks the whole case open Absolutely. Um, in a way that, you know, if she wasn't there, nothing ever would have got done about it because everyone else, you know, uh, but, you know, I don't feel that's a, a dig at people from Minnesota, I think is maybe a little bit of a jab at people from small towns in general. But I think, I think it's just, this is the world we're in the, mm. this world. These are the characters. She is smart. A lot of people around her are dumb. <laughs> you know, William H. Macy's quite dumb because his, his scheme is, is ludicrous and incredibly dangerous. And he just hasn't thought it through. Um, you know, al almost everyone else is in some way or another an idiot or <laughs> or else um, foolishly selfish. Absolutely. M Margie is the emotional core of the film and is the one that you root for. And she is surprisingly layered. Oh, yeah. Something I would say about her. So something that actually, Chris, didn't really come across to me, even in the first couple of times I've watched this film, and it only really took this time I sat down there and I was reading it and I had my, my pen and paper was that, um, you know, at the start of the film, yeah, as you said, she's the smartest one. She's kind of worked out really quickly, you know, what's happened at the murder scene when the murders do occur. Um, but then she goes to visit William H. Macy and kind of just accepts blandly his, oh, yeah, that no, car was stolen or whatever. And she just kind of walks away. And then mm -hmm. she has the run in with Mike Yamagita when she wow. goes to Minnesota which the importance of the scene never really played with me until now when I sat there reading it in my notes. I'm like, this seems really important. Why have I not picked up on this before? Yeah. What does it reveal? And it kind of re it reveals Margie's doubts. You know, she's in this very comfortable relationship with her husband. And yet uh, here she is exploring Mike Yamagita, who is apparently um, either divorced or he, he makes widowed. it up doesn't he he's yeah. widowed he, he pretends he's widowed um and she kind of believes him and goes along with it until she finds out the day after that she wasn't and that kind of spurs her to go back to jerry lundegaard and and press him and kind of take away that veil of naivety that she had she was obviously the smartest person in the room but just running into him kind of changed her viewpoint on the case and it makes a character very layered. You know, she's got faults and foibles as well. Yeah. It's just it's just a terrific scene. And it's one that I completely... I've probably watched this film three times and never really picked up the relevance of that scene. Yeah, I think the first time you watch it, especially if you're not paying full attention, you can kind of be sitting there going like, well, this is a bit random. Yeah, I think I, about that point, I was kind of, yeah, I was thinking to myself, like, what was the point in that? That was a bit of a, a non sequitur. Uh, and then, yeah, like like you say, you know, it sort of it occurs to you kind of after the fact, like, oh, that was her kind of putting together something wasn't right there, you know, or if he's going to be dishonest, anyone could be dishonest, <laughs> well, exactly. even an unassuming car salesman. And I love like, 
you know, it's probably the closest they come to kind of making fun of the nicety. Uh, but as as William H Macy starts to unravel, he'd still never swear. Yes, and he says something <laughs> like. I don't know what he says, like something like "for Pete's sake" or or, yes. <laughs> or, or 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 oh heck, and as soon as he says that, <laughs> like Margie's just like, "Well, hey now, <laughs> <laughs> exactly." Don't yeah. take that tone with me. <laughs> it's, but again, it's just it's delightful. It's funny. It's 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 so funny and so enjoyable. The Coen Brothers films. One of the things that always strikes me about them is. They're they're not the sort of films that you'd instantly think about as like oh you know catchphrases or anything mm. like that but yet each and every film i've watched of theirs has uh, at least one or two lines that are just eminently quotable and i will quote forever uh yeah. to the point where i i forget where they come from um you know just just the other day i i saw some some hair product on the shelf and turned to the wife and announced to her that i was a dapper dan man <laughs> and she was like what and i was like god that guy- I it's haven't fi- thought about that for fi- years. The film that influenced the podcast name, Chris. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, a film I haven't watched since then, actually. Uh, oh my goodness! Just, oh, oh, brother, where art thou? I can only really vaguely remember bits about that film, but that just George Clooney, <laughs> you know, throwing a hissy fit about, um, you know, not wanting to put pomade in his hair because he's a yeah. dapper Dan man, and it's just a silly thing. But I've I've always quoted it. It's always been. You know, one of those things. Obviously, the Big Lebowski is very quotable. Lots of uh, lots of things from that entered my lexicon. What I've got to say about this one, you know, coming back to the fact that this is my favorite of, of the Coen Brothers films, mm. is I feel like, especially in some of their later films, thinking of maybe like Burn After Reading, I think there was just this kind of overcomplication of the plot. And I get that that's kind of their, their shtick sometimes, you know, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a tangled web kind of situation mixed in with quirky characters and strange situations. And I, don't get me wrong, I certainly enjoyed Burn After Reading. It was a fun film. But like a lot of their films, actually, you know, I kind of come away from it feeling a bit like, huh, that was weird. Yeah. Funny. In parts. In a lot of parts, it was funny. But just something, there's just this disconnect for me. I'm actually scared to say this. Um but the Big Lebowski, I I do like it, I do like it, but I don't get why people often hold it up as like the standard, like their film. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh no, no, I can no. already feel the Facebook comments. No, no, don't say I'd... that, Chris. <laughs> no, no, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Okay, I love it. It's, it's, it's a good film. It's very funny. It's it's probably worthy of a podcast on its own. But I think when I bought it, it's probably the only Coen Brothers film that had ever been hyped up to me before I watched it. And then when I watched it, I was like, it was good. It was funny. It was enjoyable. Good plot. I'd watch it again. But it did not make me feel the way Fargo made me feel. It, okay. it did not. Yeah, no. It didn't have that feeling of, God, I've got to rewatch that again. Or, God, that was brilliant. That bit was fantastic. And this bit was fantastic. Love You know, while I really enjoy The Big Lebowski, I just have never quite understood why that is what people consider to be the pinnacle of their films. Because... And I know that not everyone does, but I, I've heard a lot of people describe it as kind of the be-all and end-all. I would agree with you. It's not their best one. And you actually mentioned Burn After Reading, and that was certainly one where I came out of the cinema and had a very similar reaction, which was, yep, yeah, that was good. Well, it was entertaining. I don't know if it was good. Yeah. <laughs> and Burn After Reading is very weird because actually nothing really happens by the end of the film, except a lot of people die. 
Yeah, which um, is a common theme, I think, in a lot of their um, theme films. Sure. You know, people um, die sometimes needlessly, sometimes not. Yeah, I think I think in terms of the Coen Brothers, people talk about the, what their best work is. It might be Raising Arizona, or it might be this. Uh, Miller's Crossing is another one that's held in high regard. Um, certainly, Burn After Reading is probably on the the lower half of the list, uh, but still very enjoyable. And Burn After Reading is another one, as you said. I have the exact same feeling. I pick up one of these films, and again, there's like line after line of quotable dialogue, especially in, in, in those films. I mean, I'm just thinking about this film, Chris. Um, the description of uh, Minnesota and North Dakota as Siberia with chain restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> or even just, as you said, Margie's uh, explanation, and then she ends with uh, this execution type deal. <laughs> it's, it's just given in such a matter of fact, cheery way. <laughs> this execution yeah. type deal. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's definitely got a high degree of uh, quotability. Um, yeah, and I think I've also got to say, um, kind of coming back briefly to the point on on Margie kind of being the emotional center for the film, uh, it it put me in mind to uh, continue being meta and linking this to stuff we talked about previously. But uh, it's something Joss Whedon said years ago when talking about Buffy, and he said, "If I want the audience to feel sad, I make Willow sad because mm. she's she's the one you empathize with the most and and when she gives you the big eyes or, or when she starts crying like you don't stand a chance it'll floor you and um much in the same way you know i i didn't expect this you know i expected this film to be a light-hearted romp uh i expected it um to be quite similar to uh say the big lebowski or something like that where it's quite funny and quite quirky and uh, that's kind of how it goes but um you know it was actually quite um quite emotional when um you know she's um driving in the cop car and she's i forget the name of the character but it's it's not carl the other kidnapper yes who's obviously kind of monosyllabic and doesn't speak much peter stormare Stormare. yeah peter stormare and you know he's just pretty much sitting there in the back and she's just kind of talking at him and kind of saying like you know was was it all worth it all the the killing and the stealing and Mm, everything else you know there's there's more to life than money and she has this really heartbroken look on her face and this this yeah yeah she just seems really disillusioned and and she seems like somebody who you know who kind of gets by in life by being quite cheery and happy-go-lucky and obviously she doesn't have a lot to do in this kind of sleepy town and and that this has really kind of affected her is it and it's all in the face it's all you know big fan of face acting (laughs) <laughs> um you know because it doesn't always have to be belted to the rafters you know it's um there's a subtlety in the performance but yeah it really got me i was really mm. like i was like oh oh margie it's okay <laughs> <laughs> crawl into bed with norm it's it's all gonna be fine well you, you you've picked up on something i was going to bring up which is that last scene and and the film is as much about her journey as it is about the solving of the crime and the murder mm-hmm. uh, and obviously uh, jerry lundicard getting caught because she does go on this journey, you know, which she is uh, very much happy-go-lucky. She's in this very comfortable relationship with Norm, where Norm's kind of living at home. He's a bit of a painter, trying to get on stamps and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, the whole thing with Mike Yamagita, really, and the case kind of shakes her a little bit to her core, to the point where she then sees, you know, Peter Stormare thrusting someone <laughs> into, the, into the shredder, matter-of-factly, and then, of course, she captures him. And the whole thing just kind of shakes her to her core, but also kind of brings her her journey to a satisfactory end, which is, Margie, you've got it pretty good. 
you know, mm. you've got you know, you've got a great husband and Norm. Um, it's a dangerous world out there, but uh, for the most part, life is pretty good. And she kind of goes back in and she curls up with him, and it's a great emotional end to the film. It's not so much happily ever after, but it's probably as close as you could be in a Coen's Brothers film, and it just it just makes sense, and it, it gives a great emotional resonance to to Margie as the center of the film. Yeah, and it's that kind of feeling of she's not going to sit there and talk about the you know action packed horrible day she's just had, and she's going to make the biggest deal in the world out of the fact that her husband is now going to be on the the three cent stamp or exactly. <laughs> whatever it is, because she you know is 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 all about that. I actually read that. Um, Francis McDormand and the actor who played um, Norm came up with a backstory that that obviously isn't particularly alluded to uh, in yeah. their characters, but affects how they portray them. And that backstory was that they were both on the police force, um, and that a time came when one of them would have to sort of uh, quit and stay at home, and the other would keep working. And Margie is the one that uh, stays on the force because Norm basically says, "Well, you're the better, you're the better cop, you're the better police officer." So that's you know that's your thing i'll try painting (laughs) um, (laughs) you know it was you know when i read that i was like god i can instantly see that in 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 the way they act and it's um yeah again it's just a little layer to to what is what is just a fascinating little world oh yeah this this there's lots of little fascinating little stories and aspects of this film which um kind of add into the legend of it so peter stormare for example this is one of his first english language films and he didn't speak english so he had to learn all his lines um, phonetically. Oh, really? <laughs> but he did add that very kind of very in a in a land Minnesota, which kind of has um, Scandinavian descendants. He, of course, I think it's Swedish. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of brought an air of authenticity to it. Um, for example, and there's also another little fun story which you may or may not have, have read about Chris, but I floored me because I saw it in the credits when I uh, when I was watching the film. Prince is credited in the credits. I did not pick up on that. So the dead body, um, when in Margie's famous scene, which she's telling them this execution type deal, yeah. um, the body, the dead body in the background, that's credited as Prince because it's got Prince's famous um, gender uh, sideways icon uh-huh. in the credits. It's not actually him. Like he, he, <laughs> it's not him, but it's what? just it's just the Coen Brothers paying tribute to another famous son of Minnesota, which is Prince. Rest, may he rest in peace. Um, <laughs> in the credits. That's and it floored me seeing the site. I was like, fuck, Prince was in this? Prince <laughs> and he's, Squiggle? He's not. But it, this, this, yeah, the, scriggle, the scribble was in the credits. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Weird. Love Prince. What a guy. Love Prince. But I also love the fact that the Corn Brothers, obviously, there's so many little things to this film that you can enjoy. It's You can either enjoy it from Margie's point of view or the the true crime kind of point of view. And I appreciate, by the way, after our discussion on um, uh, Serial, that I enjoyed this film. I enjoy the crime aspect of it, but I don't watch crime TV shows and I don't particularly care for Serial, but never mind. Well, I mean, this this is... Uh, and, and that's actually a point to pick up on. There's um, rather a famous thing about the fact that at the start of the film it says is it based on a true story mm. um and it's not really like it's no. <laughs> it's based very loosely around something that happened but all the characters are fictional and all the you know the specifics of the situation are fictional um it's just very generally about i think a fake kidnapping gone wrong was was what they based it around so there's certainly two things i i want to talk to you about chris get your your thoughts on uh, mm-hmm. i think the first one i would be remiss if i didn't say what did you think of steve buscemi 
Oh, Steve, you know, I love, I love me some Steve Buscemi. He, I don't think I've ever seen a film or, or even, you know, a TV show or anything with him in it that I haven't loved. But this, this is definitely up there with some of my favorite performances, just because he, where uh, Pizza Stormare, as you say, doesn't speak very much and his character, I think only speaks maybe something silly, like 10 or 15 words in the whole film. Like he doesn't say much at all. I mean, just, you know, Buscemi's really carrying all those scenes, just yammering on, never shutting up. Yeah. And I, I could, I could watch it all day. He is so funny, and his kind of his attitude towards the end, where he's been shot and he's carrying the money, <laughs> and he's just, he's just incredulous that this guy isn't even reacting to him, and he's like, "I got fucking shot," you know. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant top class and also a real good sport about the fact that everyone says how weird he looks in the film and <laughs> and he does he, he he's does a strange look, looking guy he's he's charmingly weird looking steve buscemi um i did love how for the so-called it's just another aspect of this film to enjoy is he is an, another impotent male in this film mm-hmm. he's a guy i'm a tough guy i know what i'm talking about you're going to pay me this much i'm going to kidnap your your wife and of course the kidnapping goes awry because she falls down the stairs and knocks herself out on a shower curtain and um they go to this hut which is far too cold and of course yeah he gets shot and everything it's just layer upon layer of he's not quite as smart he's not quite as good at this as he thinks he is or at least as he's trying to get across to everyone else and it goes throughout the film actually it's, it's all the other male characters really apart from apart from obviously from from margie who's of course our, our female lead Jerry Lundegaard is the same. He's he's very impotent. He's very inactive and he doesn't quite know what he's doing, but he's kind of blundering his way forward, hoping that he can get this money. It's really interesting, a really great portrayal. And this was kind of Steve Buscemi's breakout role, I think. Yeah, I'd have thought so, given the timing of it. Must be about there. So a legend was born. He is <laughs> he is another fantastic composer. So if you if you generally if you've not watched this film, then obviously what we're saying is absolutely go ahead and watch it. It's, oh yeah, this 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 gets a hundred percent seal of approval from us. Absolutely, a hundred minutes of you know less than two hours to watch an Oscar worthy film that doesn't feel like it's being Oscar worthy. Do you know what I mean, Chris? Like it's oh yeah, not definitely. There's no party. It's no, no ears and graces. It's just a very very good. One of the other great stories I love about this film is, um, you, you might not know them because they're American, but if you've ever heard of Siskel and Ebert, they're famous reviewers from America, apparently during the screening of this film about halfway through, Chris, one turned to the other and went, don't you just love our jobs? Yeah, this is this is why we love movies. This is why yeah. we love movies. I just, uh, that, that, I, I was and they're notoriously there... hard to please. Exactly, but I was, I was sat there watching it again with the wife, and we both had big smiles on our faces, both laughing at the Minnesota nice, and just you know, just enjoying. You just slip into this film like a like a hand into a glove, and and just ride it to the end. It is fantastic. We we both have, and pro- you've probably got rid of it by now, but I think I've still got it kicking around somewhere. The um the Xbox three sixty game, seen it. With oh, com- I was the best person buzzers. in the world at that game. You were good. We all had I our moments. Damn good. Come on. Um, like, no one would play with me because I'd always crush them. That's that's not true. That's not that true. I true. I would have happily played with you, but whatever. <laughs> let's but let's let bygones be bygones. You probably won a couple. Um, let's just say, but um, 
for a while, it, it hit this real sweet spot for me. Because as you know, Steve, part of the reason I was so keen to do this podcast is because while I love films, I so rarely watch them. Um, because it's just not part of my regular mm. weekly activities. I'm more of a TV show kind of guy uh, in, in terms of my habits. But we had this real uh, golden spot, me and the wife, years and years ago, back when we were living in our first flat together. Uh, we would routinely like play party games just the two of us, <laughs> because we're like that. And and would we would sit up some nights for hours playing game after game of seen it. It really informed a lot of our film viewing because we were uh, we were doing Love Film at the time while they were still a legitimate company that you might consider using, you know, before the Netflix revolution. And yeah, you know, our Love Film list just became full. Fargo was definitely on it. It became full of things on which there were always these really amusing clips, uh, you know, on on scene it. And there was a there was a Fargo clip on there, which I believe is uh, Margie interviewing the prostitutes. Yes, uh, and most of the dialogue is just. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, and every time, every time it came on, we'd absolutely love it. We'd be like, God, I hope that one comes next. God, I, I really want to watch that Fargo, <laughs> and it never came. You know, we ended up canceling our Love Film subscription long before it, um, before that ever got to us. But I did get the pleasure of watching Year One with Jack Black and Michael Sarah, so it wasn't a complete bust. I also watched that through Love Film. Yikes, huh? Hey. <laughs> <What a> terrible <laughs> oh. movie. Terrible with a capital T. It was so unfunny. Yeah. I mean, we I, we should talk about that another time, actually. It was, it well, you a, should not. It, I did not want to watch it. It was a true monstrosity. I won't make you rewatch it, but we should discuss it. <laughs> we should discuss it at some point. If you, if you ever go onto the uh, social media, the film social media website, Letterboxd, which is great. You can go on, you can uh, rate films, you can mark films when you watch them and uh, follow other people, follow famous critics, for example. And I was going through a big list of like Jack Black films. I don't know why, but I was just like, oh, I have seen that, I haven't seen that. I was adding... And then I saw Year One, I was like, oh, fuck, I did watch that film, didn't I? It is god-awful. It's instantly forgettable until someone else says, did you ever see Year One? And you're like, that is a dreadful film. <laughs> I think the biggest attempt at a laugh involves mammoth poo or something is mammoth poo there's um vinnie jones threatening to sodomize people with a disgraceful looking implement it's a very bad film classic example of um right ingredients but terrible movie in terms of uh the actors involved at least oh i know Um, terrible but yeah anyway less said about that the better but um yeah so that's um just a just a just a little piece of the puzzle you know i've wanted i've i've wanted as i said to watch fargo for years and that was one of the main driving forces seeing seeing that little clip every time um absolutely killed me and it was just the it was the minnesota nice it was the you know the 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 sort of the 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 clear the clear politeness despite the fact that she was talking to sort of um hookers i also loved that in the film the sort of the juxtaposition of those really nice scenes with all of a sudden just jump cut to steve buscemi having sex with a prostitute for like a minute and then cut away from it again <laughs> only for him to get slapped nakedly by peter Stor- no it wasn't peter stormer it was the um it was shem then yes the native oh, american yeah. um garage guy shep. garage guy yeah so chris uh, i would be remiss in my job if i didn't cause when we did interstellar i forgot a major piece of one of the things i wanted to talk to you about which is hans zimmer's excellent score so I need to talk to you about the iconic theme from Fargo, which was by the composer Carter Burwell, which is one of the great things. It is another one of the great things about this film. It is this over, not over the top, but it's dramatic introduction and end to the film and it's still yeah. used today in, in, for the TV show Fargo. 
Um, I mean, what did you make of, of that? I mean, it's instantly rememberable. Memorable. Yeah, very memorable. I can hear it in my head as you're saying it. And as, as we've discussed in the past, you know, despite the fact that I'm a bit of a muso, it's kind of hit or miss for me if I actually hear a film soundtrack because uh, so often they can just kind of wash over me. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's it's very good. Obviously, uh, as you say, it's kind of, a, it's it's very dramatic. It's very grand and then kind of serves as this stark contrast to, yeah, the sort of small town kind of colloquial uh, nature of, of, of a lot of the film. But, you know, obviously kind of represents, I guess, a lot of what you see in a, in a state like that, which is these kind of vast major areas probably with a lot of you know beautiful scenery but nothing and then you know potted between it some quirky little towns but yeah i i I thought it was a really really strong piece of music one of the few times i've actually nipped onto spotify to uh to listen to a film soundtrack actually i don't don't do it often Ah. yeah there's a a few things that kind of tickle my fancy or make me think i want to give that another listen out of context not a lot. I mean, I know people who can listen to John Williams scores endlessly all day. I, I just don't get that. It's no, like, I don't get if, that I, if I'm not watching it in the movie, nah, no thanks. I could, but, um, I could listen. I, I did for a long time listen to um, a lot of the soundtrack from Lord of the Rings over and over again. Oh, you see, now that that for me is a prime example of something I can't listen to uh, ah. outside of the film. Um, yeah, it just feels... It's, it's like, uh, you know how you're walking along and you've got your music in? it's kind of forming the soundtrack to what you're doing. Mm. Uh, and it just feels inappropriately grand if I'm ducking down to tie my shoelaces and like it's kind of playing. And it's funny, <laughs> but it just feels silly. Uh, 1.70, no, I... return to Canterbury East, mate. Cheers. Actually, you know what? It's perfect for that. (laughs) Because, Chris, you're not the tallest man in the world. I can actually, to to kind of conflate the two, I can actually imagine you on the bus going, I'm going on an adventure! (laughs) We we make for the gap of Faversham! Actually, it reminds me, the one one and only time in my life that I did stand-up comedy, uh, which all in all is a story for another time, but it was quite fun and quite successful. Uh, but after getting a few laughs and getting my sort of stage legs, uh, I felt comfortable with my audience. And I said, before I go, it, throughout my life, people have always commented on my accent. Uh, as we've made quite clear throughout the podcast, we're both Scottish. Uh, and I don't know if you get this, Steve, but I constantly get, oh, hey, are you Canadian? Are you American? Are you Australian? Uh, you know, people have all these guesses way off the mark so i said you know i gave him a bit of that and i said so where does it you know does anyone have any clue as to where they think i might be from and i got heckled the one and only time i did stand up i got heckled and someone was like you look like you're from the shire (laughs) 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 to which i responded get fucked and uh (laughs) and then that was it that was the end of my show (laughs) so (laughs) it inversely ended up kind of a low point but um a strong take a strong take by the way apropos of nothing talking about um movie soundtracks actually one of the movie soundtracks that still sticks with me um is star trek beyond i rewatched it recently chris and uh michael i i love michael giacchino's 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 soundtracks for all three of those films but also his wider work um but especially especially near the start of the film when they actually go to yorktown station there's mm. a piece of music that plays when the Enterprise arrives and uh, the camera takes you around this great achievement of humanity, of uh, humanity with other aliens, obviously. 
um and it's a soaring piece of music i think it's called night on the yorktown mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite pieces and i just like this i keep singing it in my head um <laughs> it is a f- fabulous piece of music fabulous soundtrack but um we'll leave our star trek discussion for another time soon enough soon enough soon listeners enough. 24th of september counting down the days right so chris is there anything else you want to talk about fargo um there's well there's one more thing i want to ask actually i want to ask you uh two-part question uh the first part is have you watched the tv show and the second part is should i watch the tv show that's a very interesting question so i have uh, watched the first two seasons the third season is on right now Mm -hmm. and it's a very interesting continuation because when it first got announced chris um I think I'm a bit different to this now, but I was very defensive. I was like, oh, what? How can you make a film? So how can you make a TV show out of a 90-minute film? That's Never ridiculous. Done. And the first episode is largely around this. But then they, in the second episode or so, they kind of spin off in their own direction. There's some new characters. And it builds up this whole kind of mystique. And by the end of season one, it's actually very, very good. Season two, I enjoyed. Um, it's It then takes you into the past involving some of the, so the, the same some of the same characters so uh, margie's family um, mm-hmm. are cops and you kind of go back in time and uh, ted danson's in it as her dad and oh, so or, or her grandfather i think and then her father her father is played by i forgot the actor's name now and it always has some like really kind of top actors in it so there was uh, um, billy bob thornton was in the first series kirsten dunce was in the second and ewan mcgregor is actually the lead in the third one and it's very much like that every season is a self-contained anthology with a different tale from the dark side of minnesota nice so i haven't mm-hmm. watched season three yet i've watched the first two seasons i definitely say give it a go i think after you get past the first episode i think you'd probably enjoy uh probably enjoy fargo i ask as if i have a choice in the matter obviously i'm going to watch it because I've started know. something now, so I need to complete it. But um, I just wanted your take on it for what I was letting myself in for. <laughs> well, it's it's not by the Coens, um, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I initially didn't want to watch it. Um, it was one of these things where I kind of prejudged it based on the fact the Coens weren't involved and it was a TV show. But then it got great word of mouth and the wife wanted to watch it. And all of a sudden, yeah. uh, I'm sitting there. It's... So I'm, I'm, letting it, I'm letting it record in the Sky Plus box to binge the season three. Yeah. It's a strange thing in in general that that kind of happened over the last, I guess, five or so years, where all of a sudden there was either spin-off shows from movie series that haven't had a, a you know haven't had an installation for the last ten or twenty years. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of like Hannibal and and stuff like that, or actual retellings or I guess reimaginings of films, but in in TV show form. And to be honest, the whole thing makes my head spin. I have no idea what's mm. happening. I don't know if I'm coming or going. It gets very confusing because obviously they're named for the film. It's, uh, I, I just don't really get it. But I have heard very good things about the show Fargo. It's it's one of the only uh, sort of TV shows of that nature that I have actually heard good reports of. One of the, the reasons why it works, or certainly why the first season worked, and I, I like the second season, but there are some odd elements to the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, which you, you, you'll probably pick up on the second you watch them and you'll probably give me a call as soon as you see it. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons why it works is that the creator of the show had a vision for how to explore this universe 
and you would again think this film could spawn a universe but he basically asked the question what if there was more crime in minnesota organized crime and we saw it so we mm-hmm. see the basically the first season is the film uh, extrapolated out um slightly differently and then season two is going back into the past you're a bit and explores more about the kind of crime families of minnesota uh and i think season three is something quite similar as well but again different setting different characters so you move away from like jerry lundegaard and all that stuff so you get a uh-huh. chance to have new actors and therefore a bit like true detective you're getting um hollywood caliber actors on a tv show which again is something that else that's increasingly prevalent on television but I'm, I'm with you you know more and more we're seeing retreads we're seeing reimaginings part of it is the netflix effect i think netflix have been very um involved in bringing back tv shows uh funding uh remakes funding um get togethers reunion shows of yeah all n- sorts nostalgia of nostalgia laden things like fuller house and uh stuff like that absolutely and it's because i think it's because they can they can narrow you know things like netflix they can narrow in on the audience so much that they can say like something peculiar like wet hot american summer which is um it's quite a unique it's mm. funny but it's very weird film which they then made a, a sequel series to where everybody is still this is now 10 15 years older but playing the exact same characters as kids uh and they managed to get bradley cooper back for that they've got paul rudd's in there you've yeah, got amy um, poehler in that amy poehler's in there um and a whole range of other character actors and they're they're making a sequel show right now that is a film that came out as a cult following for but did nothing for 15 years no sequels no tv shows and now on netflix it's a thing it's just another example i mean we're going to talk about star trek in the future and you know star trek is back largely because of streaming because netflix turned around and said we want to do a star trek and so cbs went oh god we better get on this because if not netflix are going to take it away from us well it's 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 interesting because i mean it, it feels to me almost like the inverse of the horrible cynicism of what's happening in in hollywood and films today which is that everything's rebooted everything has to be a cinematic universe because it's working for marvel yeah. everything we have to have product recognition so i love this spec script but it's now die hard six because i'm going to turn your crusty old cop into john mcclain mm. and then that's the film's done it's like yeah. stamp approval call bruce willis and it makes me so wearied and so tired of a lot of what's getting churned out at the moment um and especially especially every yeah constant reboots um you know within my lifetime i've seen three different spider-man film franchises and that shouldn't yeah. happen you know that's that is too much not to say that the newest one isn't going to be the best however uh, you know i digress but the point is it's very cynical it's very cash yeah. grab it's very we don't trust something if we don't know for 100 percent it's going to make us the money whereas netflix is right on the opposite end of the spectrum because they got money coming out of their ass you're paying the subscription no matter what so they're they're a lot more likely to take risks and in a very creepy way they use algorithms based on viewer data to basically say what what will what will tickle people's you know uh interest so we find that political dramas are also overlapping with this venn diagram of kevin spacey films and dark humor let's make a show called house of cards based on the was it danish 
thing. No, it's British. It's a British. Oh, it was a British original. Yeah, we actually watched it um, when you were very young. God. So again, another example, bringing back something ancient that probably no one was asking for, but it's, you know, it's it's done in a way that is basically, you know, based on well, what what do we think fans would want, you know? And I'm not saying that they're being these, you know selfless wonderful human beings they're in it for the money obviously but the point is they are directing it you know they're they're making their money by saying what do the audience want let's give them exactly what they want yeah and, <laughs> even and if the, they don't know they want it and the, the, you you said the word cynical the most cynical thing right now as we're talking for me is the tom cruise helmed the mummy oh my so, life what so, is that <laughs> exactly so they've remade a film which only came out you know you know 15 plus years ago whatever um, yeah. It had many sequels, whatever. But it's now the third remake of that franchise. It was obviously Mummy from the 1930s. But even more cynical than that, Chris, is that this is the start of a planned franchise for Universal called the Dark Universe. And we'll have the Mummy, then there'll be Bride of Frankenstein. And they have pre-planned as many as five films are in pre-production now. And you've got Tom Cruise in this film. He's going to be apparently like the anchor you're going to go see all these other films because Tom Cruise is in them. I mean, it's terrible. They've lined up... Um, who's in The Mummy with him? Uh, Russell Crowe. They've Russell lined up Russell Crowe for a Jekyll and Hyde film because he's in this film as Jekyll, uh, Dr. Jekyll. You know what I hate about myself, Steve? That sounds really good. Like, I know that you're describing it in this horrible way and I've just had this massive rant about Hollywood. But now that you've said Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll... Really? That actually sounds kind of good. See, I and just... I know it won't be. Right, this is so, so frustrating. <laughs> and, and I tell you what, I had no interest in any of those Brendan Fraser uh, mummy films or fucking The Rock is the Scorpion King. But I did see posters with Tom Cruise on it and instantly think, I do like Tom Cruise. I don't yeah, like I don't. The Mummy. See, that's, and that's their difference. Yeah, you and yeah. that's that. I think we. I, Mental note, Steve, I think we do need to have a Tom Cruise episode, a Tom Cruise chat, where we sort of go point counterpoint on his career. If, if we do, I love him. If we, if we do, I might have to bring in the wife, because my wife hates, <laughs> with passion, hates with the passion of a thousand sons, Tom Cruise. <laughs> anyway, we should wrap up there, Chris, because I think we've uh, we've digressed enough. But to, to summarise, Fargo is an amazing film. Yeah. Um, and can get you talking about Netflix and other films. So definitely worthwhile now i think chris for our next episode we are actually going to go off the beaten path a little bit mm. because as you mentioned as we have a third spider-man franchise coming out um and we have long talked about marvel films so what are we going to do for the next episode thanks uh thanks for teeing that up for me steve i will now <laughs> i will i will now take a drive at it Yes, so we are, yeah, a little bit off the beaten path, a little bit different. Um, I want us to to basically do a roundup and a kind of summary of our feelings on the Marvel Universe as it currently exists, our experiences with it shared or otherwise, and uh, maybe do a bit of a rundown, top to bottom, what's the best, what's the worst, where do we sort of come on that, to, as you say, coincide with um, the, the, the new Spider-Man film because otherwise we might have to wait like three more weeks till they release another Marvel movie for us to coincide with. So we've got oh. to time our window. <laughs> if we don't do it now, we can only then have to wait to October when Thor Ragnarok comes out, because we already missed Guardians of the Galaxy 2. That's anyway. the funny thing. Like, a little bit of inside baseball for you all. Me and Steve have been discussing this particular episode, doing a Marvel episode for 
uh, months, and, and in the time we've discussed that, I'm pretty sure there's been three Marvel films. <laughs> <laughs> we, been do- we started talking about it when Doctor Strange came out, I think, uh, or That's at least right, around yeah. that time. And then <laughs> there's been Guardians 2. Um and and now we've got the amazing Spider-Man. So we have to do it now, point. otherwise we'll have to wait until like Black Panther comes out. So let's yeah. um let's do it now before before Spider Man comes out and uh and we'll kind of run down our feelings on it. Mm-hmm. So that's all for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks, or maybe sooner, depending when we can actually podcast, or maybe a little bit later. But we're yeah, going to try we and might, get back we might on try the and, schedule. Might try and redress the balance of uh <laughs> of of the fact that we've missed a couple by maybe speeding up the process from this point and bring balance to the force exactly Good in chat. the meantime if you wish and we do wish we do mm-hmm. you can keep in touch with us you can follow us on twitter at o brother pod and it's all just the letter o dot h you can like us at facebook.com slash o brother podcast and finally most important thing as always and i know it's horrible to say it over and over again but subscribe review on itunes stitcher and tune in uh, we love your ratings and more importantly so does the itunes algorithm so although we have uh, people downloading get involved if you like the podcast get on there give us a quick review it helps uh, get bring more people uh, to the podcast yeah and in in general join the conversation talk to us you know let us know your feelings we let have us know how few, you feel we have a few hardcore fans who come on the facebook page after every episode dive in and give us their thoughts and our takes and on the films themselves, sometimes agreeing and sometimes not. So by all means, if you're coming to this late, go to the Facebook page, look up one of the last episodes and join in the conversation. We always interact with the fans. We love you. Mm. And check, love you all. Ch- check Steve out on Letterboxd as well. Letterboxd, see his... Uh, Do you know what? Lists. I'm going to use Letterboxd for the next um, podcast because I've got my rankings already are public for the MCU. Um, as well as a few other things, and I'll be using it uh, during our conversation. So I will point people at that next episode. But in the meantime, I've been Steve, he's been Chris, and we'll see you all next time. See you next time.